Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast edition. This is Claire. And this is Cece. And hello friends to our headline news edition of our 28th series of edition on June 20th, 2021. We have three very interesting stories and even better takes, so let's get into it. Yes, so for our first story, I am a swimmer, so I thought it'd be super fun to give a quick recap and um, a sort of the biggest headline from the Olympic swimming trials that have been happening. It is wave two right now. And so this past week has been the basically the second most important time for the swimming community uh, since no one else outside this community really cares until it's actually the real Olympics. Right, Claire? That is, that is very true. So as always, it has, is set in Omaha, Nebraska. And the trials have been going on for six days now. And by the time you guys are listening to this episode on Sunday, it will be it will be the last day. So obviously this year's trial and season cycle has definitely been weird and off-putting. As always, our Olympic trials should have happened in like a year ago, basically. Well, the Olympics should have happened a year ago in 2020, and it's 2021 now, and we're just doing trial season. And honestly, the results do reflect that. So in many races already swam, the elite veterans such as Katie Ledecky, Caleb Dressel, Ryan Murphy, and Haley Flickinger have dominated. But actually, one of the expected ones um, have been snubbed, right? The biggest story of a veteran out of the Olympic trials this year is definitely Simone Manuel. Simone uh, Manuel was the first black gold medalist swimmer. So not even counting nationally, right? Like her nationality. Like Mm -hmm. she's the first black gold medalist swimmer like in olympic history but she placed only ninth in her signature event the hundred free this week and afterwards her press conference just hit the headlines basically since manuel revealed that she actually took a three-week break just a few months ago because she found out she was suffering from overtraining syndrome So she noticed that her symptoms would include things like insomnia, constant tiredness, anxiety, and more. And because of that, she took the break. And according to her, although compared to the other very incredible swimmers, she didn't do as well. She is actually pretty proud of herself for doing better than she expected considering her situation. And for the other incredible swimmers, her spot was actually taken by a fellow swimmer uh, from Rio five years ago now, and a new college sophomore from Tennessee. And this sort of fresh blood is also seen in sort of these big events, such as 100 Fly, in which the two finalists, right? So, yeah, the two finalists, or the Olympians, were complete freshmen, basically. So Tori Husk broke the new U.S. record, And she's only 18 years old and just a new commit to Stanford. And the second place is Claire Cruzan, who's a 16-year-old from North Carolina. That's insane. They're so young. They're younger than us. Yeah. Well, one of them is younger than us. Yeah, yeah. The Claire one, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is for me this is kind of the first time where both 
I, both first and second are completely new. Like, they never... Like, the people placing yeah. in first and second? Yeah. So, if you place in first and second, you get to go to the Olympics. Oh. In any event, in their finals, yeah. Oh. So, honestly, these kids are insane. I wonder how much they train, or if they're just talented, or both. Yeah. But in the men's, Michael Andrew, who's also very young, like, ran the whole show. Like, not ran the whole show, really dominated in a lot of his events. And I think he's only... Oh, yeah, he's 22. And what's really unique about him is he never trained professionally. Only his dad coached him. Never? Mm -mm. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What does his dad do? Oh, his dad was uh, already an accomplished swimmer. Oh, that I guess that makes more sense. Instead yeah. of just a random kid rising to the top, because that's just unnatural. Do you know if there's a big age difference between the old Olympians, mm-hmm. or like, not the old, excuse me, the previous Olympians and these new people? Oh, um, the oldest is actually 40. Oh, wow. But in general, if you look at, like, the trends, the older swimmers dominated, the the veteran swimmers dominated the long-distance event, while mm-hmm. the new freshies dominated the sprint events. So I think oh. we've talked about it before, where, like, those long-distance distance events, like the 800, 1,000, the 1,600, are those require stamina basically and Mm -hmm. that's usually built more through experience right right rather as a sprint it's like a burst of energy there's no there's not as much stamina involved yeah so yeah it'd only be natural for younger people to dominate in this sprint yeah yeah right now they're in the u.s olympic trials there are only 13 athletes who are 30 and older Mm mm-hmm yeah, like um, Allison Schmidt, she has quali- This is her fourth Olympic, so sixteen years. Wow, and she's thirty-one. So that's still mm-hmm. pretty young, but she's an. This is her f- going to be her fourth Olympic, which is insane. Mm-hmm. And only thirty-one. Mm-hmm. Wow. She started in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're definitely veterans. But again, I, as a competitive swimmer, it's super duper amazing to see kids my age doing, like, breaking records, right? Kind of competing mm-hmm. with those that you look up to. Because I've actually seen their posts, right? They took pictures when they were younger. Like, imagine racing your idol, basically. Oh, like, like taking pictures of their like, idols? Oh, not picking, like... Kind of like getting to a point where you're competing with your idol. So their mm-hmm. idols were like, I mean, in any profession, right? Someone you look up to. Mm-hmm. Going from looking up to them and beating them. Right. It's truly an experience that not many get to have, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it we had a conversation within that is like 
like I think on the honestly like every person goes through this because it's a cycle of like age right as you get if you're doing so well as a young like when you're so young there's always an expectation right of course because think about like I mean you know when we were younger it school wasn't hard right not at all yeah oh so right and we, we do so kinda, well yeah and it was like we we'll talk about this in our page six but basically it's kind of when you have that expectation already in you because you succeeded at a young age and you're still like for many of these people they're so young they're in their 20s like simone right mm-hmm. and when you have that pressure on you it can cause things uh it can like be super harmful like her suffering from overtraining syndrome mm-hmm. right and i know people may hear this and be like a three-week break really a three-week break does really hurt you that's almost a month especially in swimming where you're training every like six to seven almost six to eight times a week Mm-hmm. while I know for other sports, it's less. Especially if it's mm-hmm. off-season, right? Mm-hmm. That pressure is also part of Simone's story, where she talks about mental health and the toll that this all takes on her. And it's super, right, because she's think, also yeah. a public figure. Yes, yeah. So yeah. the entire world is looking at her, and she's got media coverage, too, which is insane. And she's also one of the biggest activists within the USA Swimming community. Mm-hmm. As well. And I think if you guys have the time, you should definitely check out her race and her press conference. I know swimming's... Watching people swim is not as exciting as, say, like, basketball, <laughs> right? because <laughs> they're all kind of depending doing the same on who sport. you ask that's true that's true i mean i'm not to say basketball is very interesting because it's constantly action-packed and you can like mm-hmm. you don't know the next move while in swimming you kind of know what they're gonna do right it's just how fast and how good yeah, how fast it. you do it. <laughs> but even if that's not your cup of tea i think her press conference is definitely something you guys should watch mm. Moving on to our second story, Mexico's Walmart chain cuts off elderly volunteer baggers. Walmart de Mexico, the biggest store chain in the country, has denied the return of its elderly baggers in light of its reopening after COVID restrictions are lifted. Considered volunteers and non-company employees, these elderly workers started bagging many years ago because of a partnership between the National Institute for the Elderly and Walmart. They really only get tips from customers, and that's only usually around 5 to 10 cents. Despite the menial pay and the exposure to COVID, the elderly are extremely mad about this. Although Walmart did tell the National Institute in December 2020 that they wanted to end this program partnership, the workers only got note of that in May. Their anger has resulted in protests in Mexico City, in front of Walmart stores and government offices, shouting, We want to work! According to Walmart, however, the end of free single-use bags and customers wanting to avoid further contamination has made the need for baggers cease to exist. But the city, along with other regions and states, is also in support of the workers since they have begun authorizing these elderly baggers to return to work if they're fully vaccinated. There are around 
35,000 elder baggers in the country, and many of them are out of work at this moment. So I didn't know this was the thing, right? Because in, like, I mean, if you go to our Walmart or our We have no Target, Walmart near here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so where we live, there's not much, there's not Walmart. But say, like, Target or any grocery store, you know, mm-hmm. the baggers are, there's not, I think even before COVID, there aren't as many baggers anymore. And definitely in COVID, there's no baggers. Because mm-hmm. they don't want to touch your bag in case of contamination. And I'm pretty sure the customers don't want them touching their bags either. Yeah. And also, and yeah, like the mm-hmm. like the article mentioned, they're also banning single-use plastic, which are like the plastic bags, which means the baggers don't have anything to put stuff into. Right? Yeah. And here, at least in America, right, a lot of the baggers... They're not kind of stationed there. They just go around and they're company employees. Like they wear the stuff. It's, I don't think it's considered a specific or an official job position. It's more of a job responsibility. Like, oh, there's tons of people. We want to move fast. We'll change you from stocking shelves to bagging, right? To help move Mm -hmm. the line faster. Right. And I, I think... I understand where they're coming from because, like, obviously it's good to have the elderly work. It's not, I don't think it's grueling work. And also, you know, talking, especially for once you get older, right? The more interactions you have, the more community that you have, the less you'll feel lonely and, mm-hmm. you know, become senile, basically. Right, plus it seems like they really want to work. It's an experience and it lets them get out of the house more. Yeah, I, but again, I understand it's hard because, like, I understand both points of view, right? Walmart doesn't want to, um, even though el- the elderly are vaccinated, they're old, and if they do catch COVID, it's not going to look good. Of course. Right, plus, and also, like, Walmart's probably going to be right? liable. Yeah. Yeah, and two, if, like, um, how do I say it? I know Walmart's not exactly willing to pay them, right? They're full. Mm-hmm. Like, they Walmart could hire them for other parts of the job or some other things, but they would have to pay them full wage, and that's, I don't think Walmart's willing to do that. I don't think they want to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Also, now that you think like the now there's no free single use bags, there's really no reason for someone to just grab multiple bags and kind of handle it themselves and then mm-hmm. give it to you. Exactly. You have your there's own no stuff. work anymore. There's no work for them. Yeah. I think this one's definitely a sad ish story, but I do believe I mean, it's not like there's no jobs out there. I think there are other ways that the city can partner partner up on to get these elderly to work, right? Parks. Right, like how the institute yeah. partnered mm-hmm. with Walmart. Yeah. And obviously this is Walmart. There are other store chains in the country and within Mexico City, which is where this story is happening mainly anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's 
still like it's still unsure right because maybe those other stores are willing to take in these elderly baggers but i mean if walmart like the biggest retailer who probably has the most money is unwilling to deal with the casualties or the risks i kind of doubt other store chains will you know right and all that aside even if the other store chains are willing to there's going to be a huge influx of workers into those other chains and stores since what walmart de mexico is the biggest store chain in the country so yeah i do think i hope hopefully um these elderly people are able to find work or some sort of activity right because Mm -hmm. obviously they're not working there for the money right i mean yeah five to ten cents can help right Mm -hmm. but it's definitely not lucrative (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you guys want to read more you guys can check out uh washington post or al jazeera or Associated Press, which the article came from. So this is a better story. <laughs> or a ha- or more positive story. Like on a lighter tone. Yes, on a lighter tone. San Francisco has permanently implemented free museum, f- um, free or discounted museum admission for low-income residents. So the program Museums for All was launched the summer before the pandemic hit and everything, especially in San Francisco, closed down, right? And -hmm. now, because things are opening up again, the program is back and not just for the summer, right? For all residents that get some sort of benefit from the city government can either get in for free or a reduced price for a group up to four people. And the requirement is some proof of SF residency and either a Medi-Cal card or an electronic benefit transfer card. The number of people that would benefit this from this, basically who fit the peop- the amount of people who fit the criteria is around 225,000 people or a quarter million. And according to officials, for a group of family or family of four, the tickets for just one museum trip can cost from $20 to $150, which is a lot. For low-income residents, the participating the participating museums for this program include the basically the famous ones, right? Dion, Legion <laughs> of Honor, Asian Asian Art, California Academy of Science, Exploratorium, and many more. This original program actually came out of a partnership between May, uh, the mayor London Breen and a financial justice project initiated by the city treasurer. Who works to make sure low-income students, uh, low-income residents, are not barred from the offerings of the city uh, by just distributing discounts for them? That's much nicer to hear, cause I'm pretty sure everyone wants to appreciate those works of arts, but I'm pretty sure it is always a concern about the price. Yeah. Especially in the like the cafeterias and the places that they have to eat lunch, man. Their food is so expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can bring stuff in. I don't know with COVID if you can, but I think before mm. you could have brought stuff in, right? I'm actually not that sure about that. I can't remember. Yeah. 
Um, but this is good because I think I know the city and even our city, Foster City, even though there's no museums around here, <laughs> uh, a big emphasis is on public space, right? Parks, yeah. uh, kind of, well, our lagoon, our recreation center is all free for people to just come in and relax, right? And yeah, that's mm-hmm. all good and all that you have public space, but there's also and also of course the library we can't forget right but there's also other learning opportunities through museums and i'm glad that they're finally opening up that part of public space to Mm -hmm. not just those that can pay right because not everyone can enjoy yeah but it seems like a lot to like oh proof of sf residency and either a medical card or an electronic benefit transfer card i mean you know they do have I, to prove it in some way or another but i don't know that's true just i hope the government has some way of keeping on top of this because if yeah. they lag behind then that's troublesome for low-income families Like, even registering to vote, right? I mean, you could just write down. You don't need an ID to vote in California. You just need your information. Yeah, but in other states, I'm pretty sure you do, right? Yeah. Because voting registration, or, like, the things required for voting registration is different for each state, which is really weird, in my opinion. Wait, but if you say you don't drive, right? San Francisco, Mm -hmm. you can take the train in San Francisco, right? How would you prove you live here? Um, I mean, I've had to do that before with mail, because if you get stuff delivered to your house under your name, then that's, I guess, a proof of residency. That's what I've done before. Oh, okay. And obviously the Medi-Cal and electronic benefit is to show that you're right, right. receiving Covered. the benefit, yeah. public benefits. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I know. I mean, straight off, it does seem like a lot of work. Like, you have to bring that stuff. And they're kind of big things, too, right? Yeah, I mean, but if they really want to go, then yeah. people would probably go through the trouble. Yeah. I hope just one day they can make museums just... Is it reasonable to make museums free for everyone? And. I'm not sure, because they do have to get the art in somehow, right? Yeah, there but is often a cost. it's gifted, right? True. And I'm, I'm sure not sure, because they're still borrowing the up pieces of art. <laughs> yeah, true. Plus, you know, utilities and whatnot. But I mean, it is a public... It's a mix of public and private. Yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah, I understand maybe it is a bit tricky right unless you get Mm. like a bunch of donors Mm -hmm. well if you guys want to find out more you can go read up on cbs sf bay area or Mm. you know if you want to visit the museum yourself if you're in the bay area you can now since they're opening up and also there are free days it's just very few and far and you have to figure out which days they are in advance you know do your research 
those are all the stories that we have for you today. But before we leave you, we have our Sunday snippet into the past. So on June 20th, 1837, 18-year-old Victoria is crowned the Queen of England. It's crazy to think that a lot of her descendants are the current monarchs throughout Europe. Mm-hmm. Even though they're not ruling anymore. But she's a big figure, yeah? Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, she's definitive. She was of Queen of England, entire, of course. Yeah, right. and also definitive of an entire era, right? We call it the Victorian mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little history lesson for all you guys. Well, thank you guys again for listening. And have a good Sunday.